I'm Tamar Hoffs, and I wrote and produced and directed this film. And I'm Susanna Hoffs. The reason my voice sounds this way is I have laryngitis. And there's Joan Cusack, who we had seen in My Bodyguard, and we thought she'd be terrific in the movie about kids going through their last night of college. Well, it's a video anyway. Is this on? In fact, after tonight's graduation fiesta... And on the right is Dee Dee Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer's younger sister, who we had heard about from Sheila Benson, who was the critic for the LA Times, told me she was a marvelous actress. She had been in a horror movie. So I, I'm pretty sure that this was the second movie for each of those women. And now Joan's an Academy Award-nominated actress. You'll remember us this way. The song, as I recall, was uh, written by Billy Steinberg, a terrific composer who had written a lot of songs for the Bangles with Susanna. But at the time, we hadn't really, we hadn't done a lot of writing together at this oh, point. Oh, really? Oh, my I God, I forgot that. I remember that I thought his work would be terrific for this movie because he had written Like a Virgin <laughs> that Madonna recorded. And uh, I, I just kept pushing on him, give me a song, Billy, we need it for our opening credits. I'm struck at how 80s this looks. Well, it was the 80s. It's kind of painful to watch that aspect of it, but I'm sure, you know, the 80s are going to come back in a big way. Well, and it'll be intriguing. I think I think well, this looks pretty universal, though, for for a uh, college campus scene. And they even had uh, video, little video cameras in uh, in the 80s. It's not, not as small as they have now. <laughs> That's true. Okay, you guys, killer. What'd you get out of your four years at Pacifica? I came, I saw. Oh, here's um, James Shanta. Oh, and the, the guy driving the car is John Terleski, who I think... Um, done had, a lot of TV stuff. Yeah, right. I think at that time he had just done a little TV, and he looked like the perfect um, hunk for the movie, as you can see. <laughs> But I, just, I can't get over the, the size of the video camera. I know. <laughs> That's um, Josh What's Richmond. Is that his last name? I'm yeah. pretty sure. He was the eternal hippie, the eternal kind of. And I know he went on to direct some. Um, really? What's the name of the band? Now I'm forgetting. This is like a huge band. Uh, Axl Rose. What was, what was the band? I can't remember. <laughs> How can I but forget I, this but Guns N' Roses, Guns N' Roses videos. He did Guns N' Roses Oh, my videos. gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. A, a fact I didn't know. That is really cool. And Charles Bernstein, I just noticed this credit for the music. He's done the music on every film I've done. It's amazing how much continuity. And here's Dan Rich, who also has edited all my work. So I guess I have some loyalty going, Sue. Mm-hmm. What did you get out of your four years of Oh, There's Sarah. our old neighbor. There's our um, <laughs> Robbie Goldman. And he's still working as a bit player in various movies. Oh, and this was a very good Somebody girlfriend. Somebody named Molly? No. What did you get out of your four or was that her character's name? I think her character's name was um, something else. No, I it had to be something else because my character was named Molly. <laughs> now it's coming back to me. I just remembered the name of my character. <laughs> 
Oh my God, it's a good thing we haven't seen this before because people are going to really think we're out of it. Oh, Nancy Israel. Now that's a terrific woman who no longer works in movies. Um, Married to Fred Elms, the who great did the cinematographer who did Blue Velvet. And he also did the second unit for us out of, out of love for his wife, thank God, because he's a great cinematographer. Oh, and we just saw Margot Kessler who wrote the, the film with me. She was the co-writer. Um, in fact, I guess this, this film evolved because Margot was the story editor at a company called Aurora Films and called me to write a beach movie with her. Oh, God. This is hard for me to watch. Well, don't, don't worry <laughs> about it. And uh, I, I went to their office, which was right across from the um, design center in West Hollywood, and she told me the story of a girl who lived on the beach and who was was like a like like a young beach girl and she said and we should have a lot of beach boys music and have a typical beach movie and i thought god that sounds like so much fun because at the time we had a beach house remember so yeah well, th i remember this was the first day of shooting too this scene this right. was the first scene that was shot but what was interesting am i right about that yes. i think it was the actual first scene right shot so God, look at the clothes. I mean, I mean, they're amazing. Actually, I so. thought they were kind of cool. But the thing is, this is our real beach house. To make a make make the complete thought here of this story. Yeah, that was was that we thought we have to do it at our beach house because that was the ultimate beach house. And and we looked and also for, it was a low budget movie and it right. did help to use. Yeah, your but own we house. looked, but we looked all over for a better location and we just couldn't find it. So in the end, we we. We went with what we knew, which was our own beach house right there in Malibu, mm -hmm. which is no longer standing looking like that because somebody has totally remodeled it, but it was the perfect college sort of shack. shack. And there wow. you are in the That's shack. It. But what was funny was when we tried to shoot there. No, this is now the set. I this know, I was just about to say. We completely copied our beach house onto a set at Culver City Studio because we could not control the light in the beach house. So we have a... They sort of copied the, replica. the design. It was not sort of. It was exact. She came yeah. and measured the beach house and did an exact replica so the inside would match the outside. So here we are in the real Malibu shooting this movie on a stage at Culver City. Here we are back the in Malibu. The requisite um, sort of beach girls. These were the beach, in quotes, bimbos. <laughs> Every beach movie needs it. Yep. And needs there's them. James. James and John picking up girls on the beach. Something that was very came very easy to them. <laughs> I remember Carrie Fraser, our um, casting director, searched out these girls. <laughs> but I remember this was uh, you know a big casting call. All the guys wanted to come to it. They came in their bikinis. Get that stuff later, okay? Oh, and this was the most fun part. There's John Terleski on his surfboard. Isn't that a double? Oh, I was just Imagine about to it say had to be a double. I was just about to say that both John and James couldn't surf, couldn't surf, and could hardly swim. And we had an amazing. <laughs> They're both from the Midwest somewhere. Right. Well, no, uh, James was Not from the East Coast. Not that that means they can't swim, but. No, but they weren't like surf guys. I remember we had all these surfers from Hawaii doubling them, and to try to find perfect doubles for these kids was a real 
hilarious experience in itself because the surfer dudes that came out could hardly, you know, all they knew was surfing, let me put it that way. None of them were um, academically um, uh, oriented, but they did a great job. And I used to go underwater with the boys, the actors, because they neither of them liked putting their heads underwater, and we did a bunch of underwater stuff with them. Nice. Well, here we are on beautiful Malibu Beach. Amazing guy, you know, cool but smart. Kind of like Sam Shepard. Oh, Sam Shepard was your hero in those days. The colors, the colors are so 80s. Well, we did that on purpose, Susanna. Oh. I mean, it didn't just happen. I remember talking to Cindy Souter about how, um, how we wanted it all to look like an old-time Technicolor movie, like a June Allison movie with Peter yeah. Lawford. And she looked at those movies, and she really got the colors just perfectly. Look at those earrings. What do you think? Where'd we <laughs> get those? Amazing. I can't they were remember. probably custom made. You know, I still I still wear the sunglasses that uh, Dee Dee is wearing. We must and have... And we raided the wardrobe truck right. at the end of the movie. There were, there were about 20... I definitely have a few things in my wardrobe <laughs> left over. I still a know that. A pair of shorts. Look at those bathing suits. I'll try to find the shorts. Someone will be wearing them on this. Right. And a pair of jeans. Right. But the sunglasses, we had 20 pairs of various cute sunglasses from the 80s. Uh-oh, here we go, the boob enhancement section. This was before silicone implants, guys. Molly, what? What? I just want to see what it's like to be really stacked. I like the new year. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is a definite improvement. I see you took my advice and made that trip to Cruz <laughs> you, you sound just like Molly. <laughs> hey, check this out, man. That's Molly's left boob. It's the right boob, I mean. Amazing. Can you believe this? Is this kind of familiar to you, Susanna? It reminds in, me In of a your... way. I mean, I, I went to a school that was um, located very close to the beach, and I always felt a little bit sort of like an outsider in a weird way to the to the surfer crowd, but it existed in exactly this form. I know. I mean, it really I, does exist here in California, but... I just kept dragging you to ballet and music lessons it, yeah. instead of letting you go out. You with, know, and you guys were very East Coast, so we right. grew up in a sort of a melting pot sort of environment, but the beach but it, definitely exists. I think... And there was a big surfer group at my school. Right. In high school. And here you are. It was are. exactly like that. Well, here you are, sort of like what you were. You were kind of like the A student worrying about what you were missing, just like in the movie. Yeah. Maybe it's that I'm graduating and I just don't feel like I've accomplished everything I wanted to. I think that as I watched this, I realized there were some resonances from our own life that I had completely forgotten we um, actually had done. But I guess when you, when you write stuff, it always comes from your own experience. But just watching this reminds me of it. Speech. Just remember when you get up there, speak from your heart, and you'll be fine. Did I ever say that to you, Sue, before you went on no. stage? <laughs> Never. <laughs> I'll try. And it was great early. Uh, this is like watching my two sons out out on their on their surfboards when we would be out at the beach. It's amazing to me. I just remembered that this film. 
that when I first heard it, that you were writing this, it was written for, it was high school aged. It was about a high school situation and you guys were having a um, read through and I read the part of Molly just to help you out because you were just right. doing a read through that. and then before I knew it. You were Molly. It, 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 you guys said, why don't you do it? And, and uh, the script had been converted to a college That's right. age. Big changes in the universal forces. I don't remember whether most beach movies were supposed to be college or high school. They were sort of a a, a generic. Well, the the, the Annette Yeah. I don't. I think those were probably high school. You think so? I have no idea. Because I think they were just sort of this generalized, uh, you know, age of beauty and youth that didn't have any specific age tacked onto it's it. It's sort of like pre Baywatch. Yeah, it is. Look at that. I just saw a little segment. Except of there's no Pamela. And well, Lee we are, Anderson. Well, we had our little girls with their cute little bikinis. Maybe not exactly Pamela Anderson. This was a scene that required a lot of onions. <laughs> Look at all the onions. I, I'll never forget this. I was crying my head off, actually, when we were doing this. Because they were real onions. Oops, little, little spaghetti sauce on the glasses. I remember there was a guy sitting to the just to the left of Didi with a, a straw filled with tomato sauce that he would just blow on the straw and it would shoot up at her glasses. Yeah, great effect, people we had on this <laughs> show. He was just crouching, right? Right. Right over there. Uh, actually, this was a good lesson in learning how to make toma tomato sauce, pasta sauce. <laughs> we used gobs and gobs of actual tomato sauce. Whose idea was that for Joan to be holding the carrot? Joan. I, I, I remembered it being a Joan idea. Yep. Like that she was actually marvelous in this scene. She was having such a good time. I was answering provocative questions. You should see their faces when they talk about sex. Yeah, and well, you know what I've noticed? It seems to me that filmmakers sure talk about it a lot more than they do it. Oh, really? Like who? Oh, this Ooh. is really. Can I take this? <laughs> Sometimes I wondered whether this was all about us. It was very funny the way the girls were sort of adding their little asides while we were shooting this. Hello? The funny thing that had happened uh, as far as getting this film going was that I was writing this beach, this little beach girl script for uh, Aurora Productions and at that very moment somebody had called me from France to see my earlier movie The Haircut with John Cassavetes. So I wrote a letter to Bill Sodi, the president of distribution at, at Universal, asking him to release the movie to the French people and he didn't know what we were talking about. And um, this letter was sort of a poignant request for the movie, so he took the movie out and screened it, and a couple of days later called me in and said, God, I really like your work, it's great. Uh, would you consider doing another movie for us? And I said, well, I have just the thing, I'm working on this beach movie. And uh, he said, oh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, let's talk about that. And uh, we completed the script and brought it to them. And then the movie was sort of 
an odd movie for the big Universal to do. So the guys at Universal Home Video were just trying to get into film production, and they suggested that they would finance it and release it through Universal. That's how this little beach movie came to be owned by the big Universal. I thought that maybe we could have dinner together. Hey, that little Mexican place, you know, they, they made the great margaritas. They still in business? Michael Ankin. There's Michael Ankin. Post Slapshot pre Twin Peaks. That's right. Post Slapshot. One of our no, was he in Slapshot? Am yes, I right about yes, that? Yes, he was. He played, the, he played the hero in Slapshot to Paul Newman, who was like the aging hockey player. And uh, and now your husband's done a hockey movie, too. So hockey movies are perennials, as are beach movies. I guess this could be considered sort of a sports movie, wouldn't you say, Sue? In a, in a way. A surfing movie, if people go looking for it's the, in the It's in a unique genre. It's in the genre of beach movies. Beach they movies. Have the, they have their own yes. category. And surf movies have their own category. This one sort of bridges the gap. Yeah, beach surf movies. And I think that was what Universal was hoping, that their home video would department would specialize in these kind of... Um, Youth-oriented. Youth, yeah, <laughs> right. What they call genre movies. <laughs> I guess this is a genre unto itself. Some combination of rock and roll, surf, and beach, and kids. I mean, I, I think the 80s quality that it has that's so strong in watching it again will actually make it sort of a vintage 80s beach movie. I think you're right. Which actually, I, I, I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm loving watching these guys with their hair. Oh, the color of their hair was a funny thing. Both of these guys have really dark hair. And when they came in to audition, I thought, you know, they're great, but we've got to do something about the hair. It's never going to work with the dark hair. I mean, James Shanta is a totally different looking guy with his normal hair. So He I, was a Broadway actor. Yes, he was. He was in um, the Neil Simon show. Was it um, Biloxi Blues? I think so. I think it was that one. He's a good friend of Matthew Broderick's. I said to him, you know what, I think you'd have the part if you'd be willing to bleach your hair blonde. And he said, take me to the bleach bowl. And a couple of days later, he was a total blondie. And then John Terleski, who plays CJ, the hunk, he hit the, ble the bleach bowl too. And pretty soon the two of them were uh, surfers. That's all it took. They didn't even have to have a surf lesson. Oh, here's uh, Dee Dee Pfeiffer again, contemplating her abandoning the other friends to go off with her boyfriend. Believe this, he says he's got this incredible suite over at the Playa Del Mar and wants to spend a night like a real married couple. Oh, no. <laughs> that one thing that was very funny about this movie was that that when we originally conceived it. It was intended for high school kids, so something like spending the night with your boyfriend at a hotel was like a major event. <laughs> and it seems, as I look at it now in the 90s, um, I wonder to myself how we could have imagined that that could have caused such a disruption. Look at well, how the, it, it almost has a 50s. <laughs> yeah. It, it's that genre thing again. It's the beach movie. That's right. Of, born out of the 50s kind of you're right you know, because uh, look at how everybody is so upset 
<laughs> they were planning to be together. It's innocent the girls. in a way. It has this wonderful innocence. I love it. You know what? The earrings are really spectacular in this <laughs> right. movie. Dee Dee had such an array of earrings. They were and the pink and the pink eyeshadow, and pink frosted lipstick. Right. I saw I saw James in a play a few years ago with completely black hair. I could hardly recognize him. As I look at him now, I kind of wish that he had stayed blonde. Come on. Love means never having to say you're loaded. Oh, the other thing is. The being loaded aspect of this movie, which was so 80s, gosh. I packed them. What? <laughs> <laughs> to us, Pacifica's finest. Here we go with another song. I remember figuring out what songs it were going to go to each of these scenes. Kind of reminds me of Dawson's Creek every now and again. Really? Yeah. But 80s style. There, I said it. I watched Dawson's Creek. Let's eat. I remember when we cued in this song, and it just changed the entire scene, which was very melancholy without the song. Who's going to dance with me? trying to remember who I got this song from. I remember it just fit the bill perfectly. This was their final meal. They were all enjoying their lasagna. It was a special recipe. The oregano was actually accidentally using the stash of marijuana that they had there in the beach house. I think that's so 80s, I can't believe it, that we actually used that little joke. And then they all, I mean, that was the famous thing where you accidentally, get, you know, put your marijuana into the fudge brownies and stuff. It's sort of a famous thing that would happen at parties. Here, don't go anywhere. There's something real important I want to ask you. Don't be shy. Ask. It was really personal, and we wanted to ask for a long time. But first, um, do you have any cookies? No, but I have some homemade dessert. Here she goes with her homemade dessert. Yay. Through with the lasagna. Poor Joan. Every time I see her lugging that camera around, I feel sorry <laughs> for her shoulder. What's interesting about this is the way we mixed formats. I remember when I... With the video stuff? Yes, and I thought, God, let's just mix the formats and always show you what Joan is recording in her home movie or her school project movie that she was doing. And later, I would see this in other people's movies and people would be getting all this acclaim from mixing formats. And I thought to myself, gosh, we were doing it just so naturally in this movie. and. And um, it didn't even seem like an innovation. It just seemed so organic for the movie. Who are you? Here he comes, Michael Ankeen. I hope you don't mind my looking around a little bit. First, dude. He was the old rock and roller, the rock and roll icon that Molly was so crazy about. 
who had lived in this beach house. The beach house had ghosts of rock and roll in it. God, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I love There she is, worshiping. And you know what was funny? Michael Onkin actually more or less worshipped you. I remember one of the reasons why he wanted to be in the movie was that he was a secret rock and roller. He had been composing music, and he was really no, um, that's a, cool a big fan of yours. I like the album cover. Somebody. Oh, we did that. We produced that for Michael. It was a great thing for him because he had these great rock and roll songs that he was always, um, you know, working on. He had the most wonderful studio in his house. I remember he had a very um, sophisticated recording setup right in his own house. Seriously, you should be there next time. Uh, hey, Mickey. The guys were trying to get rid of him. Leroy in our class, uh, is, is that your kid? Not that I know of. Then, uh, what are you doing here, bud? Well, this is called a little trip down memory lane. Yeah, I hear that happens a lot in middle age. Hey, what'd you say your name was, kid? This is I wonder if the kids were actually making Michael somewhat uncomfortable. Do you want to see it? Sure, I'd love to. You don't mind if I film it, do you? No, go ahead, that'd be great. Val, let's show him the dance, okay? Gina, kid. Val, Molly, you go right ahead. Molly is a great dancer. Oh, and this is the best filmic. So, do you remember filming this? I think it was in that first day. It was or in so. that first day. Maybe even the first day. Again, it was all on that set. I, I have this memory of you coming right off of your tour. We were shooting this. I think we started October first. And you had been on tour all summer. And yeah, I basically came home, was home for a day, did, right. we did the movie in and five that, weeks, I think, and then I was thinking of that left immediately. Again, the, the you went right back day. on tour, yeah. But my memory is that we everybody had <clears throat> rehearsed this, including Michael, and you just walked uh, no, into I, it. No, I was there for one One read reading, through. but they had, they had uh, all rehearsed it quite a lot. And you just came off the plane and you came into the rehearsal, they all knew each other. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just walked in. And it was, it kind of works though, because you do seem, you you know, you were the one that was somewhat. The outcast. The outcast, <laughs> the one who was sort of in your own world, kind of alienated. And, I, and I'm always feeling it as I see you now. Oh, this was Charles Bernstein's special Shangri-La music, because that was the name of the beach house, the Shangri-La. I'm trying to think of who was actually singing the song. I know Charles recorded this for us. It wasn't, gave, it wasn't Michael. No, but we gave everybody a chance to be a rock and roller. Charles and, and all kinds of people that had that in their spirit were coming out with it for this movie. That would be interesting to know who actually recorded this. What, what it, Charles, Charles must have brought... I'm trying to think of who the male voice was. I know Charles recorded this song for the movie. And it was some combination of rock and roll and Indian Ravi Shankar kind of music. Joan looks great. You were really into it. I actually can remember doing this. We were at Culver City, and you were just 
you know, kind of tired from not being, uh, you know, not having a chance to rest after your tour. And you, this whole section, we did a lot of times. We had tons of you guys just throwing yourselves around the room. A record player. I think I, I still have that little... That's uh, an antique also. That no. is. I have that little turntable. I've had it for years. It might have even been mine to begin with. Friends. Just thanks for everything. I wonder what Michael Atkin is doing now. <laughs> he should uh, visit me. I'm at the Playa del Mar. Thank Playa you. del Mar. Remember that place, Sue? That was the Holiday Inn or something. Yeah, it was the Holiday Inn. <laughs> I can't believe he actually lived here. I think CJ's really pissed off. Did we ever live in a place where it had been owned by somebody else? I really sort of had that feeling that we took that from something in our own life. Oh, this was the fiesta. This was this major, major scene in the movie that Sarah Elgart choreographed. She's actually now a director. She's a good friend of mine. She went from uh, being a choreographer and dancer to go to AFI. She was in the Women Directors Program, which I was in also, and um, is now directing movies herself. But this was a real set piece for this movie. We had hundreds of kids there that night, mm -hmm. too, remember? And this was on the beach in front of the... Yeah. The old the, beach house, wasn't it? Yep, yep. Actually, it was a little way up the beach where there was a road that came down to the beach so the kids could come down the, the road. There's Lou Gutierrez and his band that he put together for this movie. He, he had, what was the name of his band? Was it Lewis and Clark or something? That's what the name of the band for the movie. Well, wasn't he in another band? He was in Three O'Clock? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was one of the uh, popular garage bands of the early 80s. He did the, did the music for the fiesta. He was supposed to be the, the band for the final college party before graduation. And we used the theme of um, the living dead, or what is that for, for, the, for, the, for the party? We had skeletons all over the beach. Oh, and these drinks. Oh, my God. How many times we refilled these dyed jugs of, of punch that could grow hair on your face and chest and every part of your body. It was insane. Oh, here we are at the Playa del Mar, which was actually the Holiday Inn in Santa Monica and done up for our film and its new guys. And here's Dee Dee, who abandoned her friends to uh, to go off with her boyfriend. It was ra really rather tragic. These things have monumental consequences when you're a kid. Phil Brock, is that his name? Yep, I can't Phil believe Brock. that just popped into my head. Yeah, Phil Brock. What a nice guy. He was funny. He was doing such a sort of bad deed this particular night. Yes, sir. You've made yourself a friend for life. Okay, buddy. He was a he was a fast talker. 
Love muffins. <laughs> Guess who just got themselves and all expenses to Tahiti? That's yeah. <laughs> Wasn't I wonderful? Yeah. I can still remember the nights we spent at this hotel where they cleared one floor for us. And we were all sort of sitting around in the halls while we were filming this. It was a real tight squeeze. You remember that, Sue? Mm -hmm. You like? I love. <laughs> Boy, do I have good taste. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. I have to call my Do you remember this thing? <laughs> Please, just one minute. I'm trying stop. to remember the movie he had been in with um, Matt Dillon. Really? Wasn't he? Wasn't yeah. He? But what I'm noticing is the cell phone or the, uh, the portable, phone. portable phone. I think they had just come out around that time because he was walking around. He was playing the eternal super salesman, and he always carried that phone around. It was funny because now those are also very tiny. It would be a little cell mini. phone. It yeah. would be one of those minis that you put in your pocket, and in those days it was a big cloddy thing. Oh, God, all our surfer dudes. The guys from Hawaii all came out there with their surfboards in the middle of the night that night. Mm -hmm. We had them all lined up on the beach. Considering that this was such a low-budget movie, it was amazing how we got this scene done. I think we did it all in one night, and I remember begging everybody to stay longer when it was time to stop because James Shanta was getting really into it and doing funny improvs that we were getting him going with. Oh, this girl was amazing. <laughs> What's the famous movie with John Travolta where... James Shanta on the surfboard was um, a, a, an homage to urban cowboys seen on the Bucking Bronco with John Travolta, and we, we invented our own game for them to play on the beach that would uh, have that same consequence of how long can you stay on. And Shanta was fantastic doing it, actually. Everybody else, when they got up on the surfboard, fell off right away, except for Shanta, who actually was a dancer. Uh, uh, also, he had been a song and dance man on Broadway. This line's still busy. Who could he be talking to? Well, his loss. Bradley? Yeah, yes. Let's go to the fiesta, please. <laughs> now, why would anybody want to spend an entire evening Dancing with college boys. <laughs> Bradley's got a better idea. Oh, really? What? Hmm? What? Well, this was very daring in its day for a beach movie. They have a little, I have a little uh, R-rated se sequence here. In fact, we had a problem with the film. We were required to have a GP rating, and we thought that it was so innocent there couldn't possibly be a problem. And then later, when Universal actually put it in front of the um, motion picture um, uh, uh, rating board, they actually made us cut some stuff out of they the did? movie. Yes, we were heartbroken because we couldn't believe that they would do that on this very innocent homage to the to the 50s beach movies but they did I, I I I'll come to the places that they made us cut it was kind of funny 72 73 or 80 that's right 
Dee at her best. <laughs> she was really adorable. Okay. She's gone on to be more of a television star than a uh, than a film person, actually. She's she was in Sybil Shepherd's show, Sybil. Right. Uh, from now on, I do all the ordering around here, and I order you to lay down right now. This was dangerous. The lay down scene. <laughs> I know you. I, you're the best dancer at Shangri-La, right? Get right? right? Oh, let me have your autograph. How about a dance lesson, huh? Shut up. I'm serious. I'm asking you to dance. Thank you. When did our working relationship begin? I guess it began the day you were born, sweetheart. <laughs> and we're still at it. We've been working together ever since. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, we have sort of an unusual mother-daughter relationship. I wish in that, in that we really have worked together. And we have fun. And on, we, these, on these different uh, art we, projects. Yeah. And when you were a little girl, you used to uh, do a lot of performing in a fun way. No, I think you started writing first. First you would sing I started song. writing songs and then... You had a little band with your brothers? Ballet, yeah. Did different things and... You did ballet, and then you got We made that. films. Yeah, we made a lot of films as My kids. My brother John was the, the main family director at that time. Super 8. Yeah, we Super both, 8 movies. We both owe him a good piece of our career. He always wanted to do these sort of um, film noir kind of L.A., go, go around L.A. with the Super 8 camera and have everybody wear fedoras and... That's right. And, uh, he he wanted to do these kind of Raymond Chandler stories. And he actually did very nice ones. Yeah, he did. It was very ambitious of him for like a junior high school student. That's right. And then he then after he did his Raymond Chandler epics, he he then did um, rock and roll movies. And oh yeah, he he has great footage of the early '80s club scene X with X and the Go Go's and. That's amazing. Sort of great documentary footage of all that stuff. It really, it really played a tremendous role in influencing us, actually, Sue, because I think he, even before you, was into having a rock and roll band, wasn't he? Well, didn't he have a band with you called the uh, the 60s? No, no, the Psychiatrists. Yeah, was that what you called yourselves, the Psychiatrists? Yeah, but My... we never really existed. It was just an imaginary band. It was a, a fantasy that we had of doing... I actually have a tape a of you guys, even before junior high school, when you were in, in, in elementary school, um, singing one of your first songs that you wrote called The Rocky Island. The Rock Island Line. But that was, that was even before elementary school, probably. That was really, really Yeah, but you, early... were, you were very serious, though. Oh, my there's, God. I... There's your own Raggedy Ann. Do you Is still it? have that doll? That, that, that was... looks like a newer one. I don't think so. I think that was the real one. It was one of your favorite dolls. Well, you would know because you got it for me. <laughs> I know. It, it really hasn't stopped, honey. I'm it's... nervous because the underwear scene is coming up. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, here you go. This is so typical of you, actually, in real life. You would always have lists. But um, uh, in this case, it was talk to CJ was the critical event on the list. Um, I remember you had to fight for this song. If oh, it's yeah. the Aretha Franklin, uh, yeah. Did you give this me... cost a lot of money? I remember this, we, whenever you 
you use a song while you're shooting, you should check beforehand how That's much right. it's going to cost you. Right. You'll never be able to replace it. There was no way to do this scene with any other song. Anyway, we got it. The guy actually came down and saw the film in the cutting room. Oh, really? Yep. And what said, guy? Can, the guy yeah, who I, works the who uh, the, the, um, does the, the licensing. The licensing. And I, he was a great fellow. And I can't remember his name. I wish I could remember it. This as is painful second. to watch. <laughs> Why? You look fabulous. Are you kidding? There's the dress that, that, the costume lady's name, Isis. Cindy. Oh, Isis. Isis. She Miss made that. She made it for you. It was wonderful. Somebody told me that this movie um, has played on TV in England a lot. Well, have somebody told that? me they saw it in Japan. Yeah, You're I have kidding. heard that. But I was also told by a lawyer of mine that he was in a hotel room in Japan and very tired after flying in. And he turned on the television, and there and was the all-nighter playing at midnight kidding. in Tokyo. I think it's a it's a it's a popular midnight cable movie. Yeah, I think so too. But uh, here you go, putting on your stage makeup for yourself. I think that's kind of nice that you could do it for yourself, not just for your public. This is the transformation from childhood to uh, adulthood that everybody goes through, and now we see. This classic transformation. I always thought that that was such a wonderful metaphor to go to the um, image of, of um, the horror movie transformation and play that off the transformation into a young adult that you went through in this movie. And there you were in that classic 50s outfit that we created. 60s. For, 60s. I still have that dress, actually. I know. It was one of those things I was cleaning out the closet. I was like, do you want to keep this? Because I realized I actually wore it once after the movie. You did? What did you wear it for? Some kind of... Um, Award show or something? Some sort of event that was happening for the bangles. It's, it's really neat. It had all those little sequins that she little sewed Little rhinestones. Up. Yeah. Didn't ask any more questions, right? Right. And those earrings, my God, we must have raided every jewelry store for all the fancy earrings. I, I didn't realize how many different pairs of earrings you guys wore in this film. Hi. Hi. CJ, I can't believe you sent her to get us a pizza. You know, Sue, when I was, after we did this film, uh, so many people asked me how I could have directed my own daughter in some of the sequences of the, f the movie, like when you were doing your transformation to respect uh, and later in a love scene. And I thought that was really strange that they would think that was unusual since mothers and daughters discuss those things all through their lifetimes. But for some reason, people thought that was a huge shock. Well, I think we had an especially open kind of household with, you know, my dad, your husband, being a psychiatrist. That's true. By the and way, just for a were... moment, look, here's Meshach Taylor, who had been in my first movie, Stony Island, that we shot in Chicago. 
and then came oh, out Oh, my to friend Holland. Mary Petrie. And there's your childhood. That was your best friend for your whole life, yep, actually. Yeah, still is. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's great. It's great. But Meshach uh, had been in Stony Island, and um, he was in the haircut movie, and and here you and here he was again. Anytime I ever did a film, he said, "Hey, if I can help you out, I'll be there," which was always such a wonderful feeling. But getting back to our relationship, um, I never realized that we had an unusual household in that respect. I think we did. We always talked about everything at the dinner table, and everything was pretty out in the open. Right. But maybe, maybe. Um, I thought this guy, um, Todd Fields, is that? Yeah, he's name? had a really nice career. He was really great in the movie. He was in that Ashley Judd movie. Um, oh, it, Ruby in Paradise. Right, and he was actually the star of that, and he's a fabulous actor, who I occasionally run into in the market and have a good little chat and catch up. There's Mary, There's playing, Mary playing a um, working girl, as we like to call them. And she, she was a terrific actress who is now a writer and poet whose whole family are involved in filmmaking. Mother, father, brothers, all filmmakers, the Petrie clan. It always seemed astonishing to me that people would think it's strange that a mother and daughter would work together since men always work together. I mean, you know, it's always so-and-so and sons. Fathers and sons, yeah. Right. That seems so natural to people. I wonder why they don't expect that from women. Do they think that moms don't work or, or that women don't get along? I mean, I've never quite understood why it seemed like such a phenomenon. I don't think I was ever interviewed by anybody that didn't ask that question first. Well, that's it for me. This was a long night, Susanna. I remember how long this night was. I remember being very tired right. at this point. Yeah. It was like we, five in the morning yeah, or something. Absolutely. And you, and you kept having to cry in this scene, and I remember how distressed, distressed we became as your eyes got, you know, kind of full of makeup and they got a little swollen at mm -hmm. one point. We were Did we put ice cubes on you or uh, something? I don't think so, but I just remember this was a long night. Yeah. Yeah, Down sure. there at the Holiday there, Inn. At the good old Holiday Inn in Santa Monica. I don't think, is it still called the Holiday Inn? It probably is. I think so. It's, several hotels have grown up around it. It was the biggest hotel and it was the tallest one. We needed a, a place for you to hang out the window that yeah. looked like a 20 story building. Uh, catch the end of the fiesta. I don't want to go to the fiesta. Why not? Did you have a did you have a party when you either graduated high school or college that was anything like the fiesta that we created? No. It was just our image of what you're supposed to do on the last night. Yep. I feel like I saw it in with one of my kids, but I don't know who. You didn't have didn't you go to a prom or something? Did you go to a prom? It, well, we had a high school prom, but, but it wasn't I remember like a big bash. college was just I didn't even attend the actual ceremony. Isn't that amazing? I just wanted to be in the real world after right, four years right. of college. False eyelashes. I don't think you ever wore those either in your lifetime. Music, my Well, I can't imagine where the concept of this kind of fiesta came to us because I assumed that it was something that everybody did. But my own kids didn't do it, so maybe it isn't what everybody does. But sure seemed like a great idea. We probably we probably got the idea from uh, all those beach movies we'd seen. It's amazing how you feel like you've lived 
the life that you've actually lived at the movies. I remember my friend, the critic Sheila Benson, telling me that she had traveled all over Europe and knew all the habits of Europeans, particularly Scandinavians, by watching foreign films. Mm. You get a whole education. It's an amazing process. And you feel like you really lived it because movies have that way of bringing it so close to you. You need a ride? Oh, no, I have my moped downstairs. Hey, hey you shouldn't be driving in this condition. I'll get you a cab. As a matter of fact, I think you could use just a little bit of fresh air. So come on with me. We'll go out on the terrace, all right? You really went out on the terrace, and we really had you hanging off the terrace, Susanna. Mm -hmm. can't believe I did that with my own. Here's an example of being a mother and being very anxious about... I wasn't anxious about putting you through the romantic scenes, but I was really anxious about having you hang off the terrace of the sixth floor of the Holiday Inn. That was really scary that night. There was one point where the um, stunt woman... Um, took over for you, but I felt like you were just like on the edge there. I think there was something underneath, though. That there definitely was something underneath, but you were so tired. We had worked so late that night that it became almost too real to be, to you know, to be movies. Somebody came running to me and said, I, I forgot who it was, that I should, you know, take it easy on what I was putting you through. I guess that was part of the problem, when your own child is is doing stunts like this you kind of kind of feel like you're you might be crossing the line i think i made a big mistake i guess you're not there bye well we had a lot of trouble on that night with the sound because it was so noisy the sound man was always having a problem i think that was filmed in our actual garage it was. It was filmed in the garage in M Santa Monica. Right, so in the garage in Santa Monica. We used all our own houses for all the <laughs> locations because we couldn't afford location fees. And the house in Santa Monica, um, that we had this little house in Santa Monica that actually belonged to the family, had a, a fence that was painted white, and we thought we have to make this look more like a beach house, so we painted it kind of an aqua colored blue and white and to this day it has this unique paint job that we never <laughs> changed <laughs> when I whenever I drive by the house I always think of this okay here you go off the roof off the I mean off the deck I think that's actually me but then the that stunt, is you that's me but then the stunt lady took it that's over me, this is obviously, <laughs> you, obviously unless there's another you maybe the other one was the stunt lady I can't. It was a pretty. She was a. That's her for sure. That's her for that's sure. But she was a marvelous Woman. match that's to you. That's she her. Was but here, little... this was you. This I, is. I, I, this is where they her. said to me, "I'd gone too far." <laughs> Somebody was holding you, but it still was very that's stressful. A that's a stunt person. No, this is you now. No, I know, but the other one. I know. <laughs> but nevertheless, we didn't go to the first floor to do the part where you were actually doing all this climbing. It's hard to do stunts on a low-budget movie because you don't have a lot of time to get them done. And we were putting in very long nights at the Holiday Inn, and uh, this was okay. 
Here we are back at the uh, the Night of the Dead Fiesta Party and how everybody really is conked out on the beach. Now actually when we filmed this it was very very late because we had to film the Fiesta first and we were we had run over time and the crew was so loyal they kept hanging on and hanging on and I really wanted to get this stuff on the beach while we had all this while we still had all the scenery out there because by morning we had to restore the beach to its original form or the city was going to come down on us and James Shanta suddenly suddenly came up with this improvisation of a beached whale and or a beach dolphin, or a beached fish of some sea sort. Lion. Sea lion. And I, he was just going on and on with it. We were all so <laughs> exhausted, and I kept thanking the crew to let me do another take. And there it was, where he did his, his fish imitation. And all the staggering around and exhaustion was totally real, let me tell you, because I think it was about 4 or 5 in the morning when we were doing just before sunup. This look. How'd you get into this mess? Oh, and this guy with his uh, metal detector. You can really see how early '80s or mid '80s this thing reflected, because all the all the machines, like the answering machine, was this huge thing that people never use anymore. Oh, this we shot in um, um, some, let's see. It was in Santa Monica, I think. Yes, that's right. That we had to be stunt. This was Santa Monica. This was Santa Monica. Three in the morning, second and third street, right near the beach. No, I'm sober now, thank you very much. The thing that was amazing was that uh, Joan really didn't know how to ride a motor. And I mean, neither of these girls had ever been on one of these. I had to ride one too at some point. Yes, I had a, a guy we, who sort of taught us how to do it. Right. But I couldn't believe that they really accomplished what, I mean, it was a, a very fast learning curve for everybody on this. That actually was, that really got away from the guy. Really? And, and he was just He wasn't dragged. doing that? No, that was a complete accident. We kept it in the movie because it was so funny. Yeah, it was funny. But it just got totally away from him. That was cute. And so we used the take that, that um, had the motorcycle getting away from him. There's Todd again. And there's Meshack. Meshack, my favorite actor always there for me. And later when I did a f another film that used children, he donated his wonderful little girl and she was in the movie. <laughs> yeah, there's more hookers where they came from, huh? Working girls, Ted, working girls. Working girls. We kept wondering whether we were allowed to use the word hookers in a teenage movie. Oh, God, I forgot his room number. Oh, oh. She's, she's terrible <laughs> with numbers. She forgets her own birthday. It's true, I do. Oh, well, is it sort of a surprise? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Were you here for this soon? Mm -hmm. Were you I watching? Think so. This was might have been the same night that you were doing the, the uh, scene with Michael Aunt Keen. They're going up, and her partner has a camera. <laughs> kinky, very kinky. I think it's time I call the paddy wagon. Actually, you know, over here is really to find our friends. Oh, the halls of the Holiday Inn will never be the same after this. Well, maybe not as naive as you think. Um, 
we had to do a fight sequence and and we didn't have a stunt coordinator for that and I remember having a quick learning how to how to have guys fight without actually <laughs> punching each other out oh there's Mary Petrie our wonder Sue's wonderful childhood friend playing the part of a hooker I'm sure her parents never forgave me that one and we're still we're actually though we're actually still very good friends her father's the director Daniel Petrie senior who uh, had directed Raisin in the Sun and many many uh, great television movies Franklin and Eleanor and uh, just a whole Sybil Sybil a host of award-winning films and her two brothers are both directors. Dan Jr. is the president of the Writers Guild. Mm -hmm. And Don is also a, quite an eminent director. Do you have his filmography in your mind, Sue? Um, Mystic it, Pizza, one of the first Julia Roberts movies. And he did um, Grumpy Old Men. I think he did at least the first one. Right, Sue? Mm-hmm. I think so. Here you are running down the back stairs of the Holiday Inn. This was almost too real to be real. Oh, here's where we're going to have this fight sequence that was instant learning experience for a first-time featured director like myself. I remember thinking, how do they do it? Let's see how... Uh, I'm Now I'm curious to see how successful it is. All I can remember is the part about not wanting them to hurt each other and being very, uh, very nervous that they would actually uh, connect on some of these blows. There, up. It worked. It worked. I haven't seen this in so long. I forgot how well it worked. How did I do that? I better remember for future reference. Oh, I know he really loves me. He's just a little um, demonstrative. Oh, that's a good choice. Dee Dee's wearing Phil's um, jacket through this whole rest of the sequence. Um, do you uh, hang out here at the Playa Del Mar? Oh, yes. It's been a very good season for business, you know, spring. I keep wondering how many of these um, kids were actually people that were holdovers from other films we did. I think we're coming up on a whole sequence in which Sarah Elgart, the choreographer, Pam Greer, one of my best friends, uh, and numerous others were uh, in, you know, available to just do cameos, and we quickly uh, put it all together with them when these, when these girls are going to get hauled off to, to the jail. It's, it was always kind of old home week 
when we got together because I come from Chicago and the Cusack family are very important Chicago theater people. And Pam Greer had worked in Chicago and I met her through my first partner, Andy Davis, now very prominent director of features. He directed The Fugitive and Perfect Murder. And we started our careers together on my first film that I had written called Lepke. And he was the cameraman. And at that time, we decided that we would go back to Chicago and make movies in Chicago. So we went back to Chicago and we made a picture called Stony Island and it was Susanna's first picture. She played the love interest of the um, star who was actually Andy's was a brother. Small, a small part. It was a small part, but it was your first film. So now that I now that I re realize that there's Gore, is that Gordon Gordon Voss who who was a, was the AD at the time now was he's, the, he's, he's directed a, stuff he's directed stuff too in fact he directed a movie with Dee Dee Pfeiffer called um, Red was it called Red oh with Red George Surf the one with George Clooney yeah George it, 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 right after this he now directed this is the song that uh, Ronnie Spector that's right. Sang. That's right, and you... And I sing with her on this song. Right. Of the Ronettes. That's right, Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes. This was a great song. Another Billy Steinberg song. Exactly. It, this is a great song. This was actually kind of a fun sequence to do because all the girls that were playing the working girls were just a terrific group of girls, and whenever we were um, between takes, everybody had tremendous camaraderie, and this was an example of working with a bunch of wonderful young women and how inspiring it can be. And we all had the feeling that we were going to remain friends, and in reality, we, we have. The um, jacket that the... the, the that um, metallic jacket that... The, that um, the second from the right girl is wearing is something I still have in my closet, and every time I look at it, I, I remember this scene. Gina, if we don't get out of here, Brad is really going to be pissed off. Oh my God, she still has the camera. She's still trying to complete her school project. It reminds me of me on some of my projects that seem to go on forever. And there's Susanna riding the uh, moped. In high heels. In high time. heels. And we <laughs> were so panicked that she would fall because she'd never ridden one of those that we would only let her go a real short stretch at a time. Gordon, everybody pitched in. The AD was playing a cop, and Pam Greer and the choreographer are going to be playing the two women cops that arrest the girls. Here's Sarah, and, and here's Pam. Pam, Jackie Brown. Pam still is one of my best friends, having a wonderful career, and she's a wonderful actress. It's so nice to have you hey, here. Hey, give us a camera. No, the camera. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I really love I'll take it. A camera. Uh, this has all been a big mistake. Who do we speak to it's about true. mistakes? It's true. I'd seen a scene like this, and I, I, I'm trying to remember the rock video that had a sequence like this that I thought was so much fun. And we were going to turn the arrest sequence into just 
a real playful little musical number. And when I told the girls to get into it, I remember Joan just came up with a million faces. She could turn that face into such just a, like a rubber mask. She was just amazing. And we ran all these takes of her with her funny expressions and we couldn't chew when we were editing the movie we had a lot of trouble choosing which ones to use because they were so funny do you see Brad here oh that was a jail that was a a jail uh, somewhere near Los or actually it was in Los Angeles but somewhere on the outskirts of Los Angeles that had been converted into a movie set and every time I would see a movie with a jail after we filmed there I would realize that we were all using the same jail it had been turned into a total movie location but funny. Look at this place. I mean, when you look at that toilet, it's the most disgusting toilet I ever saw. What if you had to pee right there? Oh, God, the toilet. Who? <laughs> Remember the toilet, Susanna? It's so awful. Well, we did that. We had this whole discussion. When we first when we started filming this, the toilet wasn't gross enough. And I remember somebody saying, you got to get some green stuff in there or it'll never play. And it was, it was amazing. We put the green dyed liquid in there and it changed everything. It made it the grossest toilet in the history of filmmaking. Don't tell anybody. Who'd you kill? It was something about these nice, clean cut college girls being in this prison with that toilet. That combination really sold the scene. Information. <laughs> it was really cold there too. There was no heat. The Highland Park Jail. That's what it was. You should shut up now. No, I mean I wish I had my camera. We're just getting to the. Joan was attached to that camera. This was our real Malibu. Oh, here's my real garage. And, and see the, the the fence. That's the real house in Santa Monica that we had this little house in Santa Monica where we filmed this. Dude. Hmm? Dude. It's amazing how the word dude has held up. <laughs> it's one of those, those, those colloquialisms that seemed like a fad in the 80s and now it's become part of the culture. We were using a street right near where Barbara Streisand lived, and I remember people were upset that we were making all this noise um, rolling down that hill. I don't think she was actually there, but the people had a lot of privacy um, concerns on that particular stretch of the beach. The surf music that was composed for this was especially done for this movie, and we were trying to get all these influences into this music of Beach Boys and um, Mexican um, sort of dance music and synthesized sounds. Now this whole section 
was really something because we we couldn't find we couldn't find waves suddenly there were no waves where we had been shooting and almost every movie that has surf sequences in it goes to hawaii to shoot the um, surfing sequences because you can't rely on california uh to have good waves was this where was this well this this Film, was that's a, pretty amazing yeah this this little that one little shot was actually filmed in hawaii yeah but, i've never seen a wave like no i'm telling like you but we had to get at least waves that could match it so we could have our our um stars did fred elms do this yes second? fred well not this one shot because this was the one hawaii shot that we inserted with our surf double but um the guys, when, when this sequence happened, the guys had to go underwater, and we were out in a boat. We went down south of, of, um, of uh, L.A., south of Malibu, south of Santa Monica, to a, a, a beach that was um, near Newport, where they had good waves. And the guys, for the first time, realized that they were going to be filmed underwater, and neither of them had actually you know, ever really gone underwater swimming or putting their heads in water. So I jumped off of the boat and went underwater with them. Every time there's a take of this, I'm actually going underwater with them to keep them calm so we could shoot these sequences, which are going to come up in a minute. And I remember being so proud of myself <laughs> that I had the guts to do that. Actually, it turned out to be a lot of fun. I was really getting into it. Uh, and I love swimming and I love surfing, so, you know, it wasn't really hard for me, but it was just amazing that I had, it was a completely, okay, here we go, here, here it is, the bonking of the head, and these, the underwater sequences were filmed by our actual guys, and they're, um, they're underwater with me. See, there's John. And here goes James, and he's going to pull him out of the water. See, there he is, and he looks pretty natural. Well, let me tell you, and this whole sequence had a lot of under and over. Now, this is, this, the close-ups were filmed by the water cameraman, and the long shots, this is filmed by, by uh, Fred Elms. Anything that's a longer shot was, was filmed by Fred on the beach. So we had a bunch of, we had an underwater guy, we had a guy, in the water and we had with the, a, f a camera attached to a surfboard and then we had uh, Fred on the beach shooting the, the wider It wasn't shots. Joe? Joe and, and Joe or Banchek was shooting this kind of stuff so we had we had several cameras on this on these sequences. Joe or Banchek was a great ally of mine who um, shot this movie and he was just the most incredible resilient director of photography who was always was always you know willing to go the mi the last mile that I was pushing for because as anybody knows who's done a low budget movie under these circumstances you really have to push the envelope to get the movie you haven't dialed made. a phone like that in a while <laughs> yes right <laughs> forgot about that one good lord that really dates us doesn't it Oh, this is Malibu. This is a famous spot on um, 
um, an area of Malibu called Point Doom, where there's this one cliff that people actually use this as a place to, as a climbing, people that are practicing mountain climbing use climbing up this particular hill. Molly, how'd you know, man? You think that's land? I had been on that beach many, many times watching the people doing the climbing club uh, part of it. And we, of course, didn't have the money to go to some exotic location, so we, we went out on that finger of land in uh, Point Doom and shot this. It kind of works, doesn't it, Sue? Yeah, it looks great. I remember there was a, a critic named F.X. Feeney who wrote for the L.A. Weekly, a newspaper that doesn't exist anymore, I think. It, or it exists, but I think it's now called L.A. Times, or New Times, I guess it's called. And uh, he said that this was an incredible scene between these two guys who are saying goodbye to each other. I got an A. No. I got an A. She gave me an A. <laughs> I remember when I filmed this, I actually felt really sad because it was also toward the end of the shoot and I realized I wasn't going to see these kids anymore and I bonded so closely with them. John is now realizing that his best friend is not going to be with him anymore and this everybody goes through this when they leave college but you also go through it when you finish a film because you've created a family with all the people that are involved and at the end of the filming you have to make a sad goodbye you have to go on and do the rest of your life yeah you are you hey dude Aloha to the birds! Breakfast, ladies. You read down. She's just uh, memorizing every detail. Back talk. Huh? Breakfast. Wake up, girls. with oatmeal when I was little. I thought I was going to like it, and then I threw up on my bunk bed at camp. And I was wondering if there would be any way at all that I could doll have something else. No, there isn't anything else, Glenn. You better eat it, because it's the last you're going to get until tonight. What? <laughs> but, but we're graduating this afternoon. Oh, congratulations. Bon appetit. Pam Greer. Um, has had a marvelous uh, renaissance to her career uh, through Quentin Tarantino writing Jackie Brown for her. She was the coffee of the great 70s, uh, in quotes, black exploitation movies um, like Foxy Brown and Coffee. And she was also, interesting, small world little note here, she was also in. A, uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx, which was directed by, oh, by Mary Petrie's dad, dad Dan Daniel dad Petrie. Petrie, and she was in um, um, Andy Davis's Andy movie, movie, The Package, and others. Um, where we have a little club, <laughs> where we all a Pam Greer fan club. We have a Pam Greer fan fan club, 
It was Andy, actually, that introduced me to her in the first place. But we, every time Pam and I get together, we try to remember when we actually met for the first time because we were also very dear friends of John Alonzo, another director of photography, very close friend Chinatown. of ours. Chinatown. He did Chinatown. He did Chinatown, and he uh, lived right next door, right across the street from us, um, and uh, was a dear friend, uh, uh, and is a dear friend. Arrested, and they're in jail. Valentina? I wonder what it would be like to be arrested on your last night of school just before graduation. That always seemed like the ultimate tragedy that could happen to somebody was ending up in jail instead of at graduation. I walked with a zombie. A fine CJ, this isn't a joke, all right? Look, I can't believe you didn't know she kept it in here. I mean, how long have you lived with it? Three years or something like that? I mean, I, I you can't just believe... cool it, okay? I'm upset. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to fight anymore. What are they, what are they in for? I mean, prostitution? Oh, my God. I knew Gina was short on money, but I had no idea. What are we going to do? We don't have enough money for bail. It's just a matter of uh, delicate negotiations, that's all. I mean, it's only the first felony. I can probably get him paroled. Okay. Just joking. Smile. Morning. Morning. Can I help you? Yeah, we'd like to see the duty officer, please. Here's Max, Max Perlick. Oh, my goodness. From Drugstore Cowboy and many other films. And doing Ma a cameo. And it was his first film. And uh, we're calling it a cameo now, but for him it was no cameo. It was, a, it was a major event in his life. We've been friends ever since. Hi, we're waiting for Sergeant McLeish. How can I help you? Um... Actually, I'm here regarding a little case of mistaken identity. Uh, last night, two women were arrested and uh, incarcerated here. Oh, that's too bad. What were the charges? Just bear with me for a minute. Um, let me preface this by saying that uh, both of these women were honor students at Pacifica College, and uh, neither one has a prior police record of, of any... Every time I see John with the blonde hair, I can only picture him this way, even though now his hair is dark. I just want to know what the charges are. It's so not... Sitting. They're totally innocent of the It seems like Pam has played the opposite of cops in most of her movies. <laughs> I remember she was having a kick putting on that cop uniform because she usually plays on the other side of the law in movies. Do you have some positive identification? It was a funny situation. Everybody was so crazy about her. People are tremendous fans of Pam Greer, and on the set she was having a wonderful time with all the other crew members. Yes. Good. Then I'll release them to your custody for $500 bail each. Cash. Cash? Yeah. Um, could, could you just wait for one minute, please? I think we're waiting for one minute, too. We're busy watching the sequence, which we haven't seen in a while. Miss, ma'am, um, I'm really worried that we're not going to get to graduation. And I just graduation thing is very poignant for me because Susanna never went to her own graduation from college. Why didn't you go, Sue? Just, um, I think. Was there some special? Your brother was getting married. Really? My uncle, your brother. 
and in New York, and I just jumped oh, on the plane. Oh my goodness, I now remember that. Wow, well, you got to replay it here. It is strange how. There's Max. Oh, he looks so young. He was he very was young. Very he young. actually sure. was. He was 16 or 17 years old at the time. Really? And here's our video movie getting completed. I damn near called out a missing persons report on you, young lady. You have a little explaining to do. Bradley, Bradley, ah! please, please don't be upset. I can explain oh my this. God, Angel, how did you get that purple thing on your face? Tomorrow <laughs> night, we have dinner. We were shooting in the street in front of that police station, and we were having, again, losing the light. I remember we were right. fighting the. We were again fighting the elements the light, the noise. Did you say something? Molly, he was oh, new to me. Just forget him. Come on, we'll leave right now. Uh, they'll mail you your diploma. I'll drive you right over and have you rolfed, okay? Rolfing, that was the big thing. Right at that time, everybody was getting rolfed. I remember my husband was laughing that rolfing got into the movie. He, he being a psychiatrist, wasn't too into rolfing. This is your last chance. You come with me now or I'm calling this wedding off. You have to decide whether you want to be friends with these people or my wife. The eternal dilemma. Do you want to be with your friends or do you want to be with your okay. husband-to-be? Come on, we'll leave right now. I have something to say to I you. guess ever since women have decided not to get married out of college the way they used to, and that problem doesn't exist so much anymore. Get my ring. <laughs> I'm so glad I found you. I was so worried. Come on. The famous diamond ring. <laughs> the turning the diamond ring sequence. <laughs> These three women always reminded me a little bit of the bangles because the bangles had the hair color, the different a, hair colors. A tall, red-headed girl with a big mop of red hair and a blonde girl with this kind of and every the dyeing of hair in this movie was very intentional. We realized that in order to differentiate between the characters, not only were they going to be different in what they, in, in what their um, emotional arcs were, but also that they would have these distinctive looks about them. And we really, probably unconsciously, were copying the bangles because um, uh, Debbie Peterson has very blonde hair and Michael Steele big mop of red hair and of course Susanna was Susanna with her dark hair and dark I eyes. I always liked this this song in this scene. Was it the Golden Palominos? Yes. It's a beautiful song. It's a great song. Another one. I think we must have listened to hundreds of songs to choose the the songs for, for the soundtrack record that came out on Rhino Records and is still a favorite of mine. I listen to it all the time. Did you ever sing this song? I think I did record a version of this song. You okay, Bill? You really loved it. I really did love this song. It's kind of a country ballad. I love it as much hearing it 
now as I did when I first heard it. Just one of those songs that you just knew was the perfect match emotionally to the scene. Oh God, the dress. If you'll notice there the dress. There were three versions of the dress. <laughs> That's right. The we, ripped, the, the, you know. We had the, the, the one. perfect one, the slightly destroyed and, and one, the, very destroyed. the more destroyed one. I think we might have even had more than three, three. But we had at least three. And this, you're in the destroyed, the most destroyed one now with the hem hanging down and stains all over it. And I remember um, Joan really just adding this kind of elegance to this scene. I remember I said to her that this was the sort of testament to friendship and bonding among women. And she just had such a quality about her that I was very moved by. She's a wonderful actress and much deserving of all the awards and accolades she's gotten in her career. Her brother is John Cusack, who I actually had met with uh, at about this time, too. And um, he's, uh, he's amazing also. And their parents are both involved with theater. Um, and in Chicago are, are very renowned for that. Everything's changed. Your eye hurt? Later on, I actually read a script written by her father. He's a fantastic writer, as well as a, a uh, theater director. You know, the blues and yellows are really beautiful. It seems to me the Chicago connection is very strong um, in this picture and in, in, in most pictures that are done by people in Chicago. It seems like they really take full advantage of their um, uh, friendship um, and their feeling of kind of unity. When they leave Chicago, they don't quite leave. It's a little bit like Brooklyn. You can take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take Brooklyn out of the boy. You can say that for Chicago as well. One of the best days I've ever had. Me too. During this entire filming, we were always worried about the fish. I was just going to say. <laughs> we I always had noticing the we fish. were having this problem whether people would notice the match of the fish as we filmed it. It's a dangerous <laughs> thing to put anything like that in a movie shot, like a like a clock where you have to yeah. watch. Yeah, well, we had the problem the with the clock and the haircut. It's funny. I was just looking at the fish, thinking about. Yeah, good. That shows you're a film maven. There was the good old fish, the surfboards, all the, the wonderful hallmarks. I'm going to close my eyes for this part. <laughs> oh, this is, this is the scene in our garage. Was this the actual garage? I'm, I'm wondering now. No, this, no, no this we were on the set. set. We were on the set because we had to close the set. for. Th this was the famous um, love scene that everybody was so upset about me doing with you as if we had never discussed these things or even, um, you know, knew about them for some reason. It's very strange. Don't guys do love scenes in movies? Don't male directors do them? Does anybody ask them whether it's... Well, no, I think the issue was, you know, directing your daughter. Yes, but I just mean, just in general, though, they made such a big deal out of this. A 
We did this way at the end of the shoot, as I recall. It was one of the last days of the shoot. You think so? I have that memory I think because it was in the we middle. changed the... I think it was in the middle because we weren't at that, on that oh, we were on stage. We... You did more of the location stuff as far as my memory, but yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. You think but it was at the end? I, for, some, for some reason, I we were at Culver City and we closed the set. Basically, these guys were getting into this. We had closed the set. There was a tremendous amount of interest in what was going on <laughs> behind the curtains. Everybody was gathered around the, cur it. the curtains trying to get a glimpse of this uh, John Terleski making love to Susanna business. And uh, I was so busy just directing it um, that I didn't have any idea why everybody was carrying on like that because you just forget what it is. You're so busy worrying about the visuals and whether it's, you know, going to play. Fortunately, I think they were just improvising a little bit <laughs> here and there. Did I ask you to do that ear business, Susanna? I, I, really, I blocked it out. <laughs> I wonder how your husband would feel seeing it. This was actually done right at the beginning of the movie when we were in um, uh, Whittier. We were at Whittier College, home of Richard Nixon, a town that's devoted to the memory of Richard Nixon. <laughs> and um, we, we shot, this was the first time we had a big major scene to do in the movie. And Fred Elms again came in and he shot the, he shot with with um, telescopic lens. He did all the tight shots, while Joe Urbanchek, the first camera, did the wide scenes. And then, of course, we had Eames Demetrius, the grandson of um, the famous Charles Eames, the designer. He was a videographer, and he shot all of of Joan of Joan Cusack's uh, footage uh, for her for her school project video that was going on throughout the whole movie. The experience we've had here together is the best we'll ever have. So here we are at Whittier College, um, the sort of classic campus in their little amphitheater that they had, um, shooting the graduation at the very start of the filming. It was kind of fun because it got everybody in a good mood for the show. Okay, now Eames, Demetrius, shot endless um, video coverage because he, he followed us throughout the whole movie. Every single scene was shot by, except for the love scene, was shot by Eames as well as um, Joe so that we would always have Joan Cusack's chronicle of the movie. And um, 
We decided to use it for the end credits. Walter Brockelman's. Oh, Walter that was Bro Walter Brockelman's. He used to do that show on TV. Couples. Couples. A colleague, was a, of, really classic. A, a colleague of my husband Josh's. He always wanted to be in a movie, and I said, well, you're going to get your chance. You can play the president of the university or the chancellor or the dean. And this is uh, a song called No TV, No Phone, done by a New York rock and roll group called Price Sultan, who were nice enough to come out, and I directed their um, uh, video for this song that played endlessly on MTV. It did? Oh, yes. It was um, a lot of fun. I remember that we no need no we don't need no television we don't need no phone it was the anthem of this movie they had actually written that song before um, we shot this movie it wasn't written for the movie but it fit fit the mood of the movie perfectly they were great guys they put on surf outfits and you know they went out on the beach and they they did all the surfing stuff and then there's L Elizabeth Gazzaro uh, as one of the assistant editors. Jesse Hoffs. Uh, yeah, my son. But uh, getting back to Liz Gazzara, that's Ben Gazzara and Janice Rule's daughter, who um, is now a wonderful editor, uh, got her start on this movie. She had done a little editing, but um, f from our movie, she jumped up and lives in New York and works as an editor on some very artistic films. And uh, she also worked with us on The Haircut, an earlier movie. In the Darkness, that was the name of the song. In the Darkness was the, the opening song done by Billy. And uh, so we have several songs by Billy Steinberg, who also has written a lot of songs with you, Susanna. Mm -hmm. What has he written with you? Um, Eternal, Eternal Flame. Right. We wrote Eternal Flame together. and. Um, in your room? Yeah, in your room and uh, my side of the bed, which was on my first solo record. Right. Dangerous. That was the song. With that Ronnie Spector. Right, that Billy Steinberg um, and Tom Kelly, his writing partner, wrote mm -hmm. for that Ronnie and you did. Yeah, you've done a lot of work with him, actually. Oh, seeing, seeing these end credits just overwhelms me. I have something wonderful to say about every person who worked on this movie, and I'm never going to have time. I hope anybody watching this will just rewind and go through the end credits and realize that every one of these people really dedicated themselves to helping us do this very low-budget and fun movie. Thanks, Susanna. Thanks, Mom. It was fun reminiscing with you. And thanks, Jay Douglas and Kimberly Johnson, for making this possible.